0: This podcast contains potentially adult language, adult themes, definitely drinking, and possibly sexual context. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Drinking with Authors, the podcast. Um, I'm your host, Erica Lance. My co-host today is... Vanessa Valiente. And Vanessa, do you want to announce our guest? Because I know we oh, excited. You are about this. Amazing, Brian D. Anderson. Woo!
1: to In
0: my face, but yes. And she's waving <laughs> it around, and nobody can read it. And it was pretty okay. There it we go. It it's a blade. You go on, on YouTube,
1: there's the cover.
0: Yes okay Brian. welcome to the podcast we're going to start with what what we're all drinking so i am drinking a gin and tonic but there is a place called half mine in dunedin florida and they're brewing gin and um rum and stuff like that and it is actually amazing and they put their batch numbers on it a friend of mine gave me this and it's like a a cucumbery gin thing and as you can see i opened it tonight and anyway needless to say I have my gin and tonic like a boss. That, <laughs> Vanessa, what are you drinking? Uh,
1: mine is kind of plain Jane. I'm drinking out of my Drinking With Author's Cup as well. I have just some plain old absolute vodka and water because, yeah, I, I, I need to tone it down a little bit. And I drank way too much wine with Chuck last night or on our podcast, obviously, but you know
0: what I mean. We're going to get to a brine drinking, but I just want to clarify for the audience because you're saying you're toning down your wine drinking with vodka. It
2: okay. It's to cool.
0: me. Yeah. <laughs> I think like I, I,
1: listen, think, okay. I think in my mind it's, it's not like pure. It's more diluted. So there, guys. And I'm I'm, I'm lightly sipping because, you know, I want to be able to go to bed with you know with a clear head or semi clear head no headaches is what i is what i mean okay, i don't
0: even know where you're going with that i think you've literally signed your own like, thing you know but what it is? is
1: i'm just selling myself my own bullshit
0: to try yeah, to yeah. <laughs> i'm, I'm proud of you for that I, that's the first time i've heard somebody go instead of drinking wine i'm gonna dilute it with vodka and i'm gonna be
2: responsible <laughs> Like a well done. No, well done. I was going to smoke a joint, but let me be responsible and shoot some heroin. <laughs> <laughs>
0: exactly. Don't <laughs> smoke up the room that way. Oh, as
1: as is, I'm probably still hungover from the wine of yesterday. That's what it is. I, I blame it on the hangover. That's that's what. That's what we're doing. Okay,
0: Brian, what are you drinking for the audience at large? Well,
2: I was going to drink uh, Heinekens, but unfortunately, my Heinekens vanished. So um therefore
0: so you also made it a lighter fare by going to Jack Daniel's the way you well, made because I drank beer
2: last yesterday I'm doing it cuz that's what I have in the house <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't know don't get me wrong this I, I drink Jack Daniel's regularly so um um you know ask your doctor if Jack Daniel's is right for you <laughs> um Side effects may include incarceration, loss of job, loss of marriage,
0: you know. Oh my
2: goodness. But I'm I'm pretty much, all I ever drink is Heineken and Jack Daniels. So I mean, and at least I have one of the two things that I drink. I fear change, so I don't drink anything
0: else. That's very good. At least you didn't have to come in and go, okay, so all that's left in my house is a smoothie. Yeah. Like a strawberry kiwi smoothie, so that's what I'm drinking.
2: <laughs> well, i would at least I would at least have like played it off and like went and got up some water and said I was drinking Everclear and tried to at least look cool. <laughs> oh. That would
1: have been making your own uh was it those uh delicious hand grenades in New Orleans? Have you had those? Hur-
2: uh, hurricanes are the big thing around here. I'm I'm actually only about two mile uh, two hours away from New Orleans. I'm over oh, in really? the yeah, I was, um, well, you know where Mobile, Alabama is. Yeah. I live across the bay in a little town called Fairhope, in this little artsy little community. Mm. Imagine what if um, San Francisco had a love child with Mayberry. It's, oh. Um, yeah, it's, it's got this beautiful downtown area, like a little mom-and-pop bookshop, little uh, boutiques all over the place. Um, there's the bay. It has, has a pier down by the uh, Mobile Bay. It's a gorgeous little town. You're it actually... Uh, True, true fact: Your IQ jumps up five points when you cross the city lines.
0: Wow! (laughs) There are many people. I'm going to send to the city to see if we can make
1: that happen because we need to send a lot of people to cross over that because lately
0: people are being real dumb. (laughs) So many people.
2: You know what they say about people? They're stupid.
0: (laughs) Okay, Ryan. For the fans out there. That don't know who you are. Can you talk a little bit about what you write?
2: Um, well, I am a writer of primarily epic fantasy. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I started uh, um, as an independent author back in 2011. I had back when the you would call it kind of the golden age of in- independent publishing between 2010 and 2012 when it really exploded. And you had guys like Hugh Howey breaking the internet um, with Wool, you had Michael Sullivan, who um, got big, and then he made the, he was one of the first uh, original uh, authors who transitioned over uh, from indie into traditional. All these great, and I came up at around that time with the Goblin Chronicles, and then um, it did real well for me. Uh, I started being able to make a living, so uh, followed that up with Dragon Vane. During that time, I actually picked up an agent thanks to uh, thanks to Michael, believe it or not, Michael Sullivan helped me out with that. Um, he uh, introduced me to Lori McLean over at Fuse Literary, and she helped me get my first uh, um, audio deal for the Dragon Vein series. And Dragon Vane that the first audiobook was a in fifteen. Um, a uh, top five, uh, five finalist for audio um, fantasy book of the year on Audible. Now Jim Butcher won that year, and but I, yeah, uh, honestly, it was great because I was up there with Terry Pratchett, who a legend. You know, I mean, you know, just Larry Korea, NK Jemison. You know, and, and there there was me. I think I was I think I was the first indie, and in, at least indie and fantasy. I'm, I'm I'm positive of that to be a finalist. Um, but indie was just coming, starting to get uh, more recognized as as a legitimate, um, you know, part of the genres and a part of uh, part of uh, genre fiction. So then, um, I, you know, my career kept going with Akiri which I co- uh, co-authored with Stephen Savile who you might uh, know from the Warhammer and Pathfinder, and um, he he wrote for uh, the Doctor Who franchise and the Sherlock Holmes franchise. Uh, he was a uh, um, actually uh, Kevin J Anderson was one of his his mentors and who I, who I got actually gotten to know Kevin through the conventions it, Kevin, Kevin's a great guy and then um, eventually I tra- I've been transitioning over the past two years um, to uh, traditional publishing uh, I signed a three book deal with Tor Books uh, the uh, book one the barge blade which you he held up at the beginning yeah that one and it um, was uh, the first of my, uh, my first foray in trad- to traditional publishing. Second book, course of Fire, um, is out, and I just finished up the third book, The Sword's Elegy. Um, just, actually, I'm sending it to the editor uh, Monday. Hmm. So that's sort of who I am and what I do. I've been at this for about 10 years, um, what you consider a hybrid author. So a little bit of um, indie and a little bit of uh, traditional
1: how's how's been that whole transition between the two like has it been like what's been the most expri- uh, surprising experience between the two because sometimes you know some people feel like they have to be one or the other you know and you know you get the best of both worlds
2: well you know what surprised me the most is how easy the transition was you know because you. When all this kicked off, when indie kicked off as, uh, you know, it started getting popular and, and, and um, you know, we were every week there was a new article just lambasting Indies, so, you know, telling them we were ruining the literature and uh, all this. And that, that slowly, you, know, you still see that, just not as much. So, but but because of that, you also had get a lot of horror stories coming out that, uh, of Indies, you know, dealing with traditional and they're hating it. So I had a lot of negative um uh, negative feelings going in, and all of those were, uh, you know, completely proven wrong. Um, there was some things, you know, I had to get used to. Like, um, I, when you're when you're in indie, you have complete control over everything. But that's not always a good thing, though. You know what I mean? Um, having other voices that you not only want to listen to, but you sort of have to listen to, can be productive. You know, especially. You know, like my, my editor over at Tor, um, Lindsay Hall, is spectacular. You know, I mean, she I think she was uh, 28, 29 years old when she became a senior editor at Tor, and you know she um, she didn't she wasn't there because uh, for no reason. You know, she obviously knew what she was uh, knew what she was doing. So having to listen to that sort of input, it was a little it rubs you raw the, uh, right at first. You just got to swallow your ego and realize that other people might know something too, and um, it, it it improved the way I tell stories and it, um, helped me slow down and realize that um, you know that there some of the traditional wisdom that I was following that I still follow um, in uh, certain cases that I could uh, depart from that and it, I don't know I can't, my only experience with traditional publishing really is. Audio, which I have almost no interaction with, it's just all the contracts and I give them the manuscripts and they do the rest. And with Tor, so Tor as a company has been fantastic. They're, um, they're almost like a little indie publisher in, in themselves, the way they uh, interact with their authors. It's, not, it's You don't get this corporate feeling that I've heard described uh, with other companies.
0: No, I think that's very true. You know, we we obviously we talk to a lot of authors, and I think that you can have a good traditional experience. I think that it's better when they're smaller. It's better when they remember their roots, where they came from. And there's a point, like any business in the world, and you see this a lot in startup companies, too, where they had amazing culture. They're, like, awesome to work for. Then they go public, or they get to a certain size, and all of a sudden they're not so much fun to work for anymore, because all the corporate rules come into play, and then you're into a machine instead of an idea.
2: Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, I mean, it's, it's almost unavoidable though when you get to a certain size, and you start it's starting to take on certain legal liabilities and uh, responsibilities. That that sort of bureaucracy starts to creep in and sort of take away your vision. I don't see how you would ever avoid that. I mean, unless you're a guy like Elon Musk, who who is just so uh, you know bases bases everything he does on like just shit he wants to do that pops into his head, you know, you uh, know, and just doesn't it seems. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I'm not an expert on Musk, but it just seems to me like. He'll, I want to build a tunnel underneath LA. So he starts building a tunnel. Well, that didn't fucking work, but hey, let's try this over here. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, I'm like, I love that. You know what I mean? So, unless you're a guy like that, you know, um, I don't see how you avoid losing your culture once your business becomes a certain level, uh, attains a certain level of success. Even as authors, look how, uh, you know, some authors have. The way they conduct themselves early on compared to the way they conduct themselves later on was well, almost a necessity because you're having to deal with so many, so much more than you did in the beginning. You know, you're having to deal with uh, you. You start out dealing with one or two people, and, you're, and now you got like a dozen people in your life, all all revolved around this one piece of work that you uh, that you, that you're trying to produce it's a different you know the experience just changes you can't be that renegade rogue that you w- once were now you now you got to be a business person
0: yeah no I, I don't disagree at all um what so you said you started in 2011
1: mm-hmm. right
0: right okay i'm remembering dates actually i
2: started in 2010 but i published in 2011
0: um, so. what made you decide you wanted to write
2: you know um, I never did I was a, I was a pro, uh, professional musician for a long long time um, I, I never I used to love writing I just never took it seriously and um, I was I did it for fun but I, you know never I never I, I could never never get my head around a story. I would write these clever little short stories that had great twists and they were you know real edgy little, little pieces but there wasn't anything substantial to it it was like me is it was an intellectual act exercise let me let me show you how clever i am as opposed to let me tell you a good story and it wasn't until my son who was like seven years old at the time he uh, in seeing what i was doing he wanted to be involved and he came up to me and said hey dad i got an idea for a story and i'm I, pried myself away from the computer and listened to him, and I was amazed with what he came up with. He said, hey, Dad, will you write it? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, of course I will. I mean, I had to make adjustments, you know, of course, because he was seven, but what came out of it was the Goblin Chronicles. And honestly, it, 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 that that's so, me, ta- um, me getting the encouragement from my wife to uh, take my writing more seriously, combined with that is kind of what you know, I sort of, I guess I. you could say I sort of forced Gumped my way into this.
0: That is an awesome story. I love that it's inspired by your seven-year-old going, I've got an idea, Dad.
2: I'm going to
0: rewrite that idea, Dad. <laughs> well,
2: if you look at the covers, it says Original Concept by jo- Jonathan Anderson. Not on that. That's the barge. Oh, no, that, that, like that, uh, my indie stuff, you can't even get in paperback. Um, it, it's all digital. Uh, um, I just actually... This is how old it is. I had I, I had the original uh, audio um, deal I, I made before I got an agent uh, with Podium Publishing, and that expired, and I just resold it to Audible.
0: <laughs> wow! Wow!
2: After all these, and it's weird because after all these years, people still dig it, and I was I was to say I was amateurish it um, would be would be would be an understatement Um, I was doing I was making all these literary mistakes things I would never do today I mean these huge information dumps Um, remember the first book first book I uh, first book I wrote it not long after I'd read a bunch of Robert Jordan so if you notice in the first book I describe a bunch of clothing and (laughs) I'm. I know. and I and and uh, somebody said, "Dude, did you just read Robert Jordan right after you wrote it th- right before you wrote this?" I'm like, "Yeah, because you can tell."
0: <laughs> oh my god. No, I think we all improve as authors. Like we we just get better at the craft, you know, and uh well, most people get better and hopefully they don't lose themselves in trying to generate a series for the sake of generating it versus the passion for writing the series cuz I think we've all kind of seen that stuff
2: happen, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know I mean? Uh, well, uh, that's why it took me so long to put a sequel out to The Goblin Chronicles. Uh, I mean, uh, I had people were asking me for it for years and years, and I'm like, I just don't have a story. You know, I concluded the original series. I knew there could be more, but I just didn't have anything for it that I thought would do the original six books justice. And eventually I did come up with something, and that's when I did that and um but i had done other i had written by the time i got to that i'd written a bunch of other books i think i think i have 20 novels out right now
0: i was going to ask how many novels do you have out because
2: 20 and it'll be if once i finish the veil and a series and this one comes out it'll be 23.
0: that Mm. is awesome what about so you were what kind of musician were you
2: not a very good one (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, you were doing it for many, many years, so obviously at the time you must have thought you were okay. You I was, I was,
2: a, it. I was, a road guy. I, I mean, I was a clubber. You know, I mean, playing nightclubs and cruise ships and stuff like that. You know, um, I, I moved to New York trying to do my own original stuff and learned very, very quickly that while my lyrics were very good, my song, my songwriting was very two dimensional. It was just, it just never really had. I, I actually wrote songs with people that turned out really well but every time I tried to go on my own it was just I was always missing something. I, mean, I have a friend of mine, Jacob Bunton, who's, he's a he, he's a professional song, songwriter. He actually um, scores me uh, movies and stuff like that too and, and he's always natural talent and he's just a natural songwriter. He just knows what sounds good together and uh, I've always envied him that talent. Um, it just sort of it just sort of comes to him where where me i'm like i can get like a decent hook or a decent verse but i could never I could just never make it sound like it should sound you know and and i the 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 sad tragic part of that is I, I was good enough to where i recognize i was sort of salieri that way i was good enough to recognize how bad i was
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: not everybody does that not everybody does that
1: this mean that like you're I almost feel like you're you're excellent at dialogue or something, because you say that you're really good at writing like these one lines. Are you like a strong dialogue writer or are you in or are you good at writing description? Or maybe both?
2: You know well
0: apparently he describes clothes very, very well. Yes, we can sure. a,
1: I
2: can describe a dress that make you think I'm Louis Vuitton. <laughs> <laughs> But um no um, I don't know I mean I try to make my writing very accessible um, I don't use a lot of purple prose um, I try to be as direct and straightforward as I can it's not that I don't have the vocabulary it's that I try to write the way I like to read now um, I, I I'm an entertainer. I, I'm not I'm not writing the next great American novel. I'm not try, you know, I'm not trying to make people think deep thoughts. Just I, just it's it's pure entertainment. And if somebody's a lot of time when you come home and you're tired, you know, slogging through um, Tolkien sometimes is hard. You know, and and, I, and he's one of my favorite if if not my all-time favorite authors. But the the, the weighty Thickness of the of his prose, it just is too much sometimes. But then you read guys like Brandon Sanderson, who who is obviously super duper talented, but he's also easy to read. And you know, I mean, he's he, you know, you're not sitting there going uh, trying to put a word into context to understand its definition. You know, it, it's he doesn't feel like he's not attempting to write o- above you. He's trying to write for you and um that's one of the things i love about his now one that's also a thing i love about Rothfuss and his writing is very very beautiful but mm-hmm. it's also very simple if you look at it it's not there's not the concepts and the way he frames things or have a have a lot of complexity to it but not so not so much with the language now i'm not comparing myself to Rothfuss in any way shape or form even though other people have and i appreciate that i just disagree he's better than I. <laughs> <that. laughs> But no, um, and as far as like what I do best, you know, I really couldn't say. Um, it's
0: What is easy it, for you, not what you no, do best? No. What is easy for you to do?
2: Oh God.
0: Because um, we know it's not write 60,000 words in a month. We know that's not easy, so. Oh, that's
2: not easy. It, um, what is easy? I, uh, I don't know, I mean it's none of it's all that hard it's not like um when you get to a certain uh okay when you're when you start now and you're trying to attain a certain level in your prose and you finally cross over into that professional level to where um to where you can send it to the major publishers and they're not criticizing your writing they're criticizing your story you know um so you reach a certain level of prose uh, an ability to where you know a lot of a lot of um, it's not really that hard to write dialogue. It's not that hard to write descriptions, depending on how detailed I want to make it. I have to sit and think a little bit, but it's not that I it's not it's not difficult. It's just I'm trying to it depends on what I'm going after. Am I going after? Am I, am I trying to paint a scene that's breathtaking? Or is this just scenery as they're walking down the street that I don't need to pay a lot of attention to? Mm-hmm. Um, where am I dropping these details and how am I drawing attention to it? The writing itself, once you get, I mean, I've written 20 novels. You know, it's, it's just, I, I almost I don't have to really think all that much um, to, to put down a, a, a legible draft because I've done it so many times I, it's just a lot of it comes out by rote, which is also a pitfall because my, I don't. Uh, I tend to I tend to get stale, so that's when I want to step back, read some, uh, 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 read somebody else, read somebody uh, uh, another author's writing, so I could like sort of clean all uh, clean all my own garbage out, then come back to it fresh, maybe okay, yeah, I shouldn't have said this here, let's frame this a little bit of a different, I'm, I'm overusing this turn of, turn of phrase, that kind of thing. But I, I wouldn't say that any of it's that hard, you know what I mean, not at this stage. You know, it, At first it really was, and I would, I would, I was just going nuts over every paragraph trying to make it sound, sound, you know, like it was somebody who knew what they were doing. But not anymore, and and I think that's, I think if you ask writers who've been doing this a while and have had uh, had success, and um, they'll they'll pretty much say the same thing. The writing itself is not the challenge; it's the frame of the story and and and, and engaging the writer and, and and creating something people like. That's that's the challenge. Oh,
1: um, it almost sounds like uh, it's also just getting to the point of just putting words down and finishing it, which is. Again, the theme of my I feel the theme of my life right now is finishing it because it's like at some point you just have to put words down and
2: you can't what's not on the page.
1: Exactly. Because my problem is what you how you were describing like how you started where it's like it's trying to make it seem like I know what I'm doing or like writing like this perfect sentence or writing this perfect paragraph and then it sounds at like some point you're like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm just gonna like go through this. Doesn't matter if it's easy or not, or whatever, you just go yeah. right and finish it.
2: Don't worry about how pretty your writing is. You know what I mean? You can, you, but you can't, because you can't edit what's not on the page. And, and I love beautiful prose just like anybody else, but I'm there. If you're writing genre fiction, you're telling a story. Pay attention to the way you're telling the story. You can always go back and edit the prose, you, you can always go back and fix a sentence. Um, I think the craft of storytelling is more is I wouldn't say more important, but equally important as your skills as a as a writer. You know, what I mean as as a crafter of sentences as a paragraphs. and paragraphs, and your ability to to describe a mountain range is it, it's great to be able to do that and do it um, do it well. But unless you know, unless you're able to engage the reader into your story and sort of kind of make them forget that they're reading um, then you know all the beautiful prose of the world doesn't matter and I've seen that multiple times with uh, aspiring writers who um, who are obviously brilliant you know and obviously have uh, have have, um, uh, a lot of intellectual muscularity but they think that's enough to make uh, that they think that because they're looking at guys like me who um, and um, and um, other many other writers like me who aren't writing at this highly sophisticated level of prose and and theirs is at the, why are why aren't nobody recognizing my genius and what they don't understand is it's not that I'm it's not that I'm not capable of it. It's not that I, I don't have the vocabulary to do it. Nobody wants to read that. Nobody wants to... want. Nobody... People people um, read fantasy because they love fantasy. They want to be engaged. Now, not to say some of the prose can't be very beautiful, and a lot of it is, but, you know what I mean, it's not enough, you know, and, and some of the... And I read some of these... I read authors, and I'm... And I look, at, I look at their writing, and I'm like, oh my God, I'll never be that good. Luckily, I don't have to be, you know what I mean? I'm i write at a professional level so that I, I can use that to tell the stories you know what i mean that i want to tell and it's you know hope maybe as years I'll, I'll get better if i don't you know um, it's not from lack of trying it's probably lack of old or an
0: abundance,
1: <laughs>
2: abundance of old but no, uh,
0: I, I think by just by nature you get you get better it's a, a you know it's interesting when i, I many many moons ago I did track and one of the things my track coach said which was I thought one of the most brilliant things because I started mid-year mid whatever mid semester whatever we're calling it in high school I started didn't do it when I was younger long distance running and I remember the first time like I did the distance I almost died pretty much in my mind because whatever but the track coach said to me I asked like how do I get better what can I do are there exercises and stuff and she literally was like run that's how you're gonna get better run oh, yeah push yourself and that's what
2: i tell every writer write more if you want to get better at it write more read read write. if you if you want to say if sanderson and i'm going to bring him up again say if he's your literary hero and in today he's like you know pretty much one of the gold standards in fantasy and I, like i said i absolutely adore the way he writes you know um it's accessible Yet has enough complexity to where it's also you know you don't feel like you're reading mid grade um, if that's if that's where you want to be as a, read a lot of Sanderson and a lot of guys like that pay attention to what he does pay attention to the way he frames dialogue pay attention to the way he describes something and the way he sets a scene. Um, and write. those are, those are the two, you know, I mean, those are the two ways you become a better writer, read people who you, who's writing, you appreciate and who, who you like to emulate and then write a lot. I mean, I don't, if there's another way to do it, I haven't run across it.
0: No, I agree a thousand percent. Um, so I want to ask you, um, through the, your process, how do stories come to you? Like. Where, besides your um, children, obviously, that you stole from, you got it, you know, besides them, where do the stories come from when you go to write them? Where does your inspiration mainly come from?
2: You know what, uh, it just, that's, that's, that's a tough one because it, it, it just sort of comes sporadically. You know, I'm sitting there talking to the voices in my head and one of them will come up with an idea.
0: Uh. no it's it's i people watch i do hr i people watch i get so many ideas from just watching interactions with humans or stories of interactions and going what if i did this what if i did this different thing with this story it's for me i get a ton of inspiration from that kind of like let me take this and then put it in my horror genre or my erotica genre but a lot of my horror stories which none of them have happy endings.
2: Internet um, would be great for erotica.
0: <laughs> that's very true. But you know the, the well, and I write humorous erotica. So I really take like I listen to my friends tell me the stories of their dating, you know, foibles or whatever or weird relationship things and I go, this would be a funny part to a story. And I can take that little nugget and then blow up the scene or the interaction or whatever, that's where I find that I get a lot of stuff. Not that ideas don't come to me. on the road like, for
2: a long time as a musician. I think it could probably. <laughs> exactly,
0: exactly.
1: So wait, so I have to ask, like, do you feel well, he like. He didn't you answer know, the question. He oh, needs God. to
0: answer the question.
2: Where, yeah. where, where, do, where do I get my, oh, just from, you know, sometimes for every 10 ideas, or more, more like every 50 ideas I get, only one of them ever ends up being a book. Um, it's easy. I could sit here and like just start coming up with something, you know, and just, you know, at random, if I really pressed myself and started working my brain. But, um, you know, okay, for example, the Barge Blade. Um, I, you know, uh, Mark Lawrence, he runs this, um, this contest called Spiff Boat. <clears throat> self-published fantasy blog off, and if anybody, um, you know, is uh, it, it, especially if you're a self-published author, you should check it out. There's a lot of great indies. There's always diamonds in the rough, people unknowns coming up, and all of a sudden they're great talents. David Madsen came out of Smith Um ML Wang came out of Smith Bow. I mean, this, you know, this just a lot of great uh, um, uh, new uh, new talents has come out of there. Anyway. Um, I had just finished writing, finished up one book and I was halfway finished with another and I was sitting at the side to get some rest. And as a palette cleanser, I decided to try flash fiction. Now, I had never done flash fiction before. So um, it's in, for those of you who don't know what flash fiction is, somebody gives you a subject matter, uh, like in this particular case, it was a picture from um, of some fan art for one of mark lawrence's books and you had to use two words within the, the within the uh, two specific words and it couldn't be any longer than 300 words long now i failed miserably because i can't keep anything under 300 words i, I write
1: 60,000 words later, and you're like,
2: oh, yeah. shit, it's a whole so, you know, I, I couldn't enter, because I tried to enter, and I was like, okay, I, I, I got it down to 400, come on, man. And they're like, nope. And I was like, all right. But by the time I finished this little flash fiction piece, I had an idea for a full novel. And
1: wow. But was the piece like a character that kind of like... It was just
2: a scene. It was, it just, was just a scene. It was just a scene, and does
1: exist in this book now.
2: Yeah, actually, it does. Okay. It doesn't exist the way I wrote it, but there are a few lines in the Barge Blade that were in that in that original flash fiction piece. Yes.
1: Okay. All right. Now and,
2: um, I remember reading it to uh, Mark, uh, to Mike. Uh, I went and visit uh, visited Michael Sullivan and his wife Robin. Uh, They have a beautiful little cabin in in the Shenandoah Valley in Virginia. I went and read it to them, and actually, one little line that got dropped because Robin made fun of me about it, I was like, yeah, you're right, that sucks, let me take that out of there. (laughs) (laughs) But um, that's, I mean, just an example of one way that I get inspiration. the Veil uh, series, which I love very, very much, uh, was inspired by my love for um, RPGs, um, like Tales of and Final Fantasy. Um, I just I wanted to do a novelized version of that style of storytelling. Uh, I didn't even I, there's a thing called lit RPG, and uh, I you know I, you don't level up or anything in the, in the Veil. It's not like that. I wasn't even aware of that genre when I wrote it. So I put all the character types of these different video games that I enjoy, and into an original world, and um, so it, it just that sort of just came together, you know. Um, Akiri, Akiri came to it came to me just because I, I was like, man, I love Conan so much, but he he's so nineteen eighties, you know. Um, outdated very misogynistic sort of uh, style but the characters type is still cool as hell he's still a badass and I'm like well what if you took that type of character and modernized him a little bit and make him so uh, you know so you don't have this damsel in distress wrapped around his leg or the the warrior woman wearing the bustier of eternal strength and the g-string of power you know <laughs>
0: World of
1: Warcraft every armor set the the power
2: that's how she takes down her I'm just kidding Yes. well I'm just saying it it makes great great, uh, erotic fantasy art but you know come on is is there any wonder that um, the girls didn't get into fantasy and gaming back in those days I mean no
1: Actually, I was having a discussion with someone where some people still get upset when they come across a female that doesn't fit those crazy molds. Like, I remember uh, when The Witcher came out on Netflix and this guy wrote an article about how he couldn't understand how it wasn't believable that Queen Calanthe could carry a sword and belch like a man and be, like, all disgusting and come into, like, uh, you know, into this room with blood crusted on her body, but was able to suspend disbelief for everything else, like the magic and the gigantic whatever spider and and, and hybrid-looking people. But it, you know, it's 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 interesting how far storytelling has come, at least for female characters.
2: Well, when I, you know, one of the things that I, I try to do, um, especially with female characters. Um, I don't. I don't. I don't try to write out femininity, and I don't ever portray it as a weakness. Mm-hmm. And I and I think that's a, a big mistake a lot of people make is they equate femininity with weakness. And like you can't ha- if you have a character that's feminine, that doesn't make her weak. That makes her feminine. You know what I mean? There, there's nothing wrong with femininity. Now. If you have a 120-pound woman, if she's a a human woman, and you have a 250-pound man, they're not going to fight the same way. They're not going to fight with the same weapons. Why would they? Because a 125-pound man wouldn't fight with the same weapons as a 250-pound man. Why would that same size woman do that? And it becomes – I guess I don't like it when somebody basically – Puts breasts on a male character and calls it strong woman. You know, it, it you know, it, yeah, you, you know, it's not all you've done is take a male character, change its genitalia, and call it a female character. You, that's lazy writing to me. Is to me, if, uh, it's insult. I, I, I feel like if I did that, I'd be insulting women, and it's not interesting. Um, so I mean, I, I, in, my, in the, uh, a novel, uh, a series that, that I'm going to be following up with, I uh, have a ninety thousand word sample of it already ready. One of the uh, one a of 90, the ninety pre-
0: thousand word sample.
2: Oh yeah, this is going to be a door. Oh trap. my god, I mean,
0: ninety thousand I mean, word
2: sample. I mean, well, one, one of the one of the main characters is a is a warrior. She's a female, and um, she's you know strong. I mean, she's in good shape but one of the lessons she tries to get she sees this one uh, she becomes an instructor she's very she's a badass uh, but she fights with her mind you know I mean she uses you know her knowledge and her agility and what she has to her advantages so as opposed to she sees this woman in the practice yard swinging this gigantic sword she says, what the hell are you doing he goes, well, I keep on getting beaten swordplay. He goes, well, why are you using? You're never you, the guys you're fighting are always going to beat you in strength. Why are you? Why? Why are you trying to do something that's that's number one stupid? You know, why use a lighter sword? Use it. Use your, your advantages. Um, use what you have to your advantage. Use what he might consider his advantages and turn them into a disadvantage and whip his ass. And, and she actually brings a guard down off the wall, shows him how to do that. You know, by imagine, she goes, what's your primary weapon? And she goes, a spear. I said, okay, why? Why do you like that? Because you can keep a distance. You can do this and that. Goes, well, it's sort of like, hey, get that same concept with your sword. And you have to use your head. Just like if you have a a character, your main character, is not some Conan barbarian guy. He's going to have to be smart about the way, the way he fights a barbarian when he runs into one. You know, um, the, the ridiculousness of some of this stuff really bothers me, and I do get a lot, very bothered when you when somebody writes a feminine character who is not a warrior badass, but she's still strong and still powerful, and then the, then the, because she's not sitting there beating the crap out of somebody with a sword that makes her lesser but what about aria in game of thrones one of the you know what i mean she had that tiny little sword and a dagger and she was kicking ass oh yeah.
1: i mean we all know like when he came into our room and she had that murderous Killer look, you're like, oh crap, what is she gonna do now? It, but I think that's true. Like, I think you just have to know, it's just like in, any any kind of situation, you have to know your strength and weaknesses. And like, strength doesn't always mean carrying a sword. It's, yeah, you know, exactly. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it could be situations where you're self sacrificing or, or being able to see know, a
2: situation and see a way out and see a way through a situation that, you know what I mean? How do you like, the way somebody writes a thief or an assassin, the way they have to think about things, it's lazy writing when they try to basically just or 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 write a sensitive care sensitive male character by basically writing a woman and you know and changing its changing the character's genitalia and saying, thinking that that's all you need to do. No, it, characters are complex. People, they're complex as like people are. I mean, there's no, I don't know any man, woman, or or however somebody chooses to identify that is a cookie cutter of another. And when people try to make it like that, I think it's lazy writing. Yeah, I agree.
0: Okay, we have to take a quick break and we will be right back. This is the voice of Drinking with Author. If you were at our commercial break and our commercial is, hey, do you want to be a guest on our show? Or do you have a question for one of the guests on our show? Or do you have a brilliant drink recipe that we've never heard of? That would have to stump us. But you could reach us at drinkingwithauthors at gmail.com or on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. You can direct message or even just leave a comment on one of our posts. We would absolutely love to hear from you. So we're back and we're talking about writing characters. One of the things I think you said that it's very important is this one thing. I think some people get wrong is not building the character completely. What their strengths, what their weaknesses, you're trying to throw them in to have them do something, but you don't put all the layers around it. Like one of my acting coaches always, I love this. They said, even if I'm walking into a scene for five seconds, right? Like I'm in, I'm picking up a book and I'm walking out but they, they, they taught me they're like know why you're in the room why are you picking up the book where did you come from like even obviously I came from off stage but like where did this character come from to walk in to pick up the book where is it going when it opens the other side and leaves what's on the other side and it might sound silly because all I have to do is walk into the room pick up a book and walk out an
2: in a world building
0: yeah but it's, it's like authenticity when you're doing things and you talk about these one-dimensional, and I don't think writers realize sometimes they are the worst stereotypers in the entire world. Like, there's a plug-and-play character, and they're going to plug-and-play it, and they forget sometimes. I think the the dimensions. Like, one of my favorite books was Spellfire. Do you remember Forgotten Realms, the first book, yeah. Greenwood, Spellfire, and it had a character that could channel this amazing fire but she started out and she was like a a dish girl kind of thing like at a a tavern i mean she was not a badass by any stretch of the imagination she never actually achieved badass status other than her ability to wield this particular thing
2: well what about ripley from aliens she had no particular um skills she was a scientist on a on a ship and ends up being one of the most badass heroines of all science fiction, ever. I mean, she takes on the alien a bunch yeah. of times and kicks ass. Well,
0: I think also, <laughs> Aliens is my favorite movie of all time. It is my favorite movie because she starts off the whole thing going, you guys, well, first of all, you're not even listening to me. Let me tell you how bad it is, but you're not listening. And then they go into the thing and she's still like, you're not paying attention. You're not paying attention to what I'm saying.
2: I always thought Ripley was one of those characters that because it was almost because she was just a normal person and did these extraordinary brave things and people like to see that in themselves they like to imagine that they would step up like that and be brave like that and i think that's one thing as writers we can offer in, in our characters to people so they can maybe see a piece of themselves and you know that, that, that's when you get to into these problems when you start overpowering a character and make them so badass that you know that nothing can really they're in, they're in no real danger.
0: I need to play. Wait, <laughs>
2: what, what, did I say that out loud? Well, I mean, think about uh, think about why does Lord of the Rings lasted all these years? Because everybody sees a little a, a little Frodo in themselves, this just normal little Hobbit, or they see themselves in Sam the loyalty and the love and the in the bravery that they you know what i mean and we all
1: so the reason why the ring was destroyed i mean if we're just being honest like the the gardener the nice sweet gardener who was loyal i mean we all know frodo didn't have i mean he he brought it to mount doom we all know it was Sam that was like no you need to let go of this thing and drop it in there you know
2: well yeah i mean the the whole well the whole friendship dynamic that you have there um but 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 importantly they're just normal people there's nothing extraordinary about them but they do extraordinary things and i think i think people i think people react to that because we all see a hero inside ourselves we all see. We all want to have this inner bravery, even though we may not. We don't know. I mean, we're never going to be faced with a dragon, so we're not. We don't know how we react, but we like I don't to.
0: know. After twenty twenty one, I'm say, not jinx us. I swear, if I, I walk I, out tomorrow and there's see. a dragon on my lawn, Brian, I am okay. calling you, and I'm, I'm gonna gonna be going to be facetiming going. What the actual fuck is this? <laughs> <laughs> you come deal with this.
2: Oh, my goodness. So
1: what's going to happen is one day there's going to be a boat out at sea, probably at the end of this year. And what's that movie where it was with uh, Charlie Hunnam? Uh, oh, God. It escapes where the, the there was the portal at the, at the bottom of the ocean. And then they had to get into, they, like, connected minds with the... Oh god, I'm butchering this movie.
0: You are butchering this horribly. We have no idea where you're going with yes, this.
1: You do. It's okay. It's the Keep going though. No, no, no. <laughs> no. no <it's> fine. <laughs> we'll drink. We go. go. Under the water and these alien creatures were coming through and Charlie Hunnam's character, the guy from I can't even remember the show. I'm must be dry. How's dropping?
0: that vodka and water doing for
1: you there? Uh, not very good right now. Um, you,
2: you, you need to switch to wine.
1: I, know. Yeah, I think you need to go back to wine. Oh god. I like I I feel like I need to google this, but it I'm just ready for like the next ending of the world to be something fantasy-wise that we didn't There's see.
0: a headline right now that says government can't explain these UFO sightings. Yeah, been that's been happening. That's hey, hey, UFO report. Government can't explain 143 of 144 mysterious flying. It's happening. It's just where are you going to be when it happens? You know,
2: honestly, I hope I-, I hope not. I, I really, uh, you know. Oh my God! There's people who uh, who believe the Earth is flat. These are the people you want to tell there's aliens.
0: No, the people. It's funny. it's funny. I actually, you say that, but we heard the funniest thing. So we have. I have a friend who is writing a novel about flat earthers, and Ooh. one of the things I sent him the other day was this thing: was if the Earth was really flat, capitalists would have already gotten a hold of it and put hotels at the end of the Earth to capitalize on seeing the edge of the Earth, and he was laughing his ass. Well,
2: okay. the thing is, a lot of these flat flat earthers, a lot of it's very um, deeply religious based, and this is what a lot of people don't understand. Um, they're looking at this literalist view of the creation story of the Bible, and it's why you can't really shake them off of it. It's not because it's uh, it, when you when you're talking about people in their faith, it it, it it it's hard to shake people off, man. When it becomes when it becomes a belief, I mean. Hey, I like fucking with the fundamentalists. I do. Uh, The whole Sorcerer's Song series is bashing the shit out of the fundamentalists. But you can never go wrong bashing the fundamentalists. And it's not like I'm going to offend them. They don't read.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God.
1: Okay. (laughs) Did you Google it? And, all, and on the record, because I had to Google it so I didn't feel completely stupid Pacific Rim, y'all.
2: Oh, I've never seen that, but I, I'm aware of it.
0: Oh, I'm you sorry. Well, Pacific, okay. Pacific Rim?
2: No, by the no way, if
0: we get hate mail, you guys can direct that at Vanessa for not remembering the name of the movie. Uh, well, you couldn't even tell me what I was saying. Like, you because couldn't... you were just making sounds, they weren't even words. Okay. <laughs> <All right. laughs> Of and then- okay um next question let's talk a little bit about your fans right oh, awesome
2: love my fans
0: What is the best fan experience you've had?
2: the best fan experience I've had okay yeah, that's an best easy
0: fan.
2: oh no 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 that's an easy one and I wish I had the letter here um I would just read the letter but I'll, I'll do my best to do this story justice. Um, a woman named Helen um, who is a foster mom. Out of Great Britain, wrote me years ago, and saying um, in this very touching letter, saying that she was the foster mom of a special needs child who had some genetic disorders, um, and was on this spe- uh, heavily on the uh, on the spectrum, had um, and. It's supposed to be a short she was hard to place been through many schools that they would you know because of her outburst would you know the way she dealt with situations we'd get kicked out what was supposed to turn into situ would uh, be a short-term placement with her turned in to a long term and at night when you're um, you uh, when you're in that um, when you're uh, autistic routine is very important and she would read the horrid Henry books to her And it was bedtime, but she never really paid attention. It was that she was reading the book and that was the end of it. Well, they went on vacation holiday as they called it. And um, Helen forgot the damn books. Well, her daughter who was a teenager had been reading the goblin Chronicles and had it on her Kindle and said, Hey, I have this. By the way, Goblin Chronicles is YA fantasy. Uh, I made sure of that. I don't want to write anything that I don't want my son looking at. You know, um, so it was YA fantasy. So she goes, "This should be fine. You know, you can read this to her. There's nothing, no content in here." But she was a teenager, um, but also young it, because of her disabilities. First night did not go well, and neither did the second night. But the third night. A character come that came into play in the in the read in the process of reading that sounded like her name so she she sort of look up that's my name and she goes yeah yeah that's your name and she started listening and actually listening as opposed to what she did before listening to the story and making her reread parts so she make sure she understood it and she gets through the first book then into the second book and this because of this and because of the way i had characters dealing with their problems especially their interpersonal problems it affected her behavior at school all of a sudden she took on a nurturing role at school wow. Wow. she started doing well and that's how important these books my books became to her and so her parents had abandoned her you know, um, for whatever reason, I'm not here to judge them, but yeah, I sort of am. Um, I was going
0: to say, I think we can judge them in this. Service. Yeah, um, you're yeah, allowed.
1: But
2: I had written her after reading this. I had written her a uh, character letter, a letter from one of the characters.
1: Oh, that is so amazing! And
2: um, so she has it. She uh, Helen prints it up and puts it in, the, in an envelope as a character to her from the character from one of the characters in the book you know and um, she was on her way to go to a visitation with her parents and she knew when they got home she would get to read the letter and before she would always question why don't why didn't they want me why didn't they want me you know that kind of thing but the whole time she's sitting there looking over, and she has the letter in the car, and she's just looking; can't keep her eyes off the letter. She can't wait to get home. And on the way home, this time she goes, eh, I, "I don't want them anyway." Oh. And wow. the 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 fact that what I my silly little story had such a profound impact on this girl's life is the best fan story. I I, I don't even. I challenge Stephen King to have a better fan story than that.
0: No, that is amazing. And regardless if we write fiction to be fun and take people away from things and stuff like that, as artists, it's amazing to have impacts on people's life.
2: I had a soldier write, write me that he was he was an army, he, army intelligence. He was a skinny guy. basic training was nightmarish on him. And that one of my books got him through it; that it helped him take his mind off of it. I mean, you don't know. I'm not like I said. I, I said it earlier in the in the interview that I'm I'm not trying to change the world. I'm not trying to make you think deep thoughts. Um,
0: deep thoughts um, by Brian.
2: Which yeah, yeah. Um, forty two. <laughs> um, you know, forty two was the name. Um, the 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 price of a pint at Douglas Adams' local pub
0: no <laughs> that, that does not surprise me at all
2: but anyway i mean but you you never know what kind of impact you're gonna have and in writing silly little stories like what i do you know i mean yes they're they're not they're not i'm not under any kind of delusion that i'm changing the world or you know are, are gonna bring or bring about peace peace in the middle east uh it, um but it, it can impact people's lives it can have a positive impact on people's lives and and, I, and I, when i say a positive impact i'm not saying you should alter content to be positive even like dark stories and horror and whatever escapism there's a one of the self-deprecating moments that people have of as genre fiction writers is what I was just describing as we're not changing the world and we're not doing all these things but I don't ever want to say that and devalue entertainment you know that uh, that argument art versus entertainment I don't mind if somebody doesn't consider what I do art because I, I find a lot of I derive a lot of satisfaction from knowing that somebody can come home from work after Mind numbingly boring and tedious, soul sucking day at whatever job they're at, and sit and grab one of my books and just get away from that for just a minute. And I, if, I, it, I, it, it, if that, if I accomplish that, then I've done everything I ever set out to do as a writer.
1: I feel 2021 shined a light on the importance of art because I feel like a lot of people who are in different kinds of fields, specifically like, you know, something finance or doctor or all these different things. And of course, all of those careers are super, super important. Um, And sometimes people tend to like, look down upon people who do art, writing, drawing, you know, movie actors and all these different things. But you don't realize that when, you know, you don't have that sometimes like, especially 2021, when you couldn't go out, and you couldn't do things. That it was art, quote unquote, that saved a lot of people, like mentally, like that yeah. mental health. And, you know, and I always hate when I hear about people from who don't do art, basically disrespect art, or if you are an artist of some sort and you disrespect other forms of art. Like, if I well, write- uh,
2: there are also some artists that give us a bad name, well, that make it hard for us by um, stepping into, Okay, we were talking before uh, in the in the pre-interview about you know, um, and I told you I don't get political,
1: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> and I'm not about to hear. And there's a good reason for that beyond the fact that I don't want to cause controversy. I don't feel necessarily qualified just because I write books you like to advise you on how to, <laughs> you know. Oh God,
0: that is. You you know, know. It's- just because we have whatever degree of fandom that listens to us does not mean we should get up on a soapbox and talk about subjects for which we are not
2: qualified to speak on exactly i mean yeah uh, a,
0: a thousand percent and i i think to your point on making an impact in the world no we didn't like cure cancer right that's not happening with our book but I think back to the stories and the games, which are a lot of writers, like I did role-playing games from a very young age. And, you know, I was that female player who came in and played with all the boys. And I think that like Little Impact, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy had a huge impact on me as a book. I loved Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Like that Monty Python, I could quote these things even to this day. I had
2: Melinda Snodgrass, Dan Wells and Christopher Richie, Richie, or whatever, uh, rolling in the in the SUV, basically uh, uh, laughing because I, I I know the um, who do you knew she's a witch? Well, she looked like one, you know. <laughs> <laughs> help! Help!
0: I'm being repressed. Sorry, part. of you. I don't look like this.
2: They dressed me up like this. This isn't my knife. This is a folks one. Oh my God! I love that. Like but in person, but we have to
1: hear you re- act, act this all out, like seriously.
2: <laughs> oh my God! I, and I did. And I was sitting there. i had a couple of whiskeys at the uh, at the at the. We were doing, a, the, we were doing a, the We were doing Pensacon, and uh, we were all out to dinner. And we were coming. and a lot of them were still like hanging out. Um, they were They were going to party. But I was, we were all tired, and I was ready to go back to the hotel. And so we all loaded up, and called the con, and they sent a car for us. And so we were heading, heading back to the hotel. I don't know what got me to doing this, but I, 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 did, I, I acted out that whole scene. And by the end of it, they were like, holy shit, how do you know all that? So, and you do the voices, too. You know?
0: <laughs> the Holy Grail, like, I can recite probably the entire Holy Grail. I love Monty Python. But these things actually, later in life, I realized, had me approach certain situations a little bit differently. Oh, you yeah. You know what I mean? And the importance, it like, here's <laughs> Guide to the Galaxy, and I'm not, Douglas Adams didn't intend this, but one of the things that always struck me is, you know, Earth is about to be destroyed to make way for a hyperspace, hyper-space
2: bypass. bypass. yeah.
0: Right? And... I think this is the most hysterical thing when it starts off going to the zoning planning committee because Dent's house is about to get trampled to make way. And you just have to look like, you go, seriously? Like, it's being moved out of the way, this entire planet full of life, because a freeway needs to happen. And yeah. that... Gives you the magnitude of importance in Weirdly, <clears throat> for me at least.
2: This so bypass is got to be built. And it's going to be built. Well, why does it necessarily have to be built? What's well, the bypass? Got to build bypasses. <laughs>
1: exactly.
0: Exactly. And you just, you have to go. Like, how ridiculous is it that this means so little to this group of people? And then when I look at situations, and you try to wonder why people are not seeing the significance you're seeing, and I go, hyperspace bypass. To them, this is a hyperspace bypass. Move it out of the way.
2: A great story about Douglas Adams, uh, my co-author on the Akira series, Stephen Savile, he yeah. told me he was in line to meet Douglas Adams, and the queue went around the, around the block, and he had one of, uh, of Adams' books. He goes up, finally gets up to him, asks him to sign the book. He goes, "Why would you want me to sign the if, sign a sign a book?" And he said the perfect thing to the perfect man at the perfect time. He goes, "Because one day you'll be dead."
0: Oh my god!
2: <laughs> and he says, "He says Adams just lost his shit, started laughing his ass." <laughs>
0: well, I you know I think it's true. It's interesting when people get signed like. Let's talk about fan signings. What it's What is it like for you when fans want you to sign the books? Like, I don't know, Vanessa.
1: I Listen, I, I, this is my signed copy. It's, it's yes. It's, I mean, you know what it is? PentaCon being around your booth with all like, you know, you got Dan, Dan Wells and you got Melinda Snodgrass and you just got all of you, everyone in that. I mean, it's intimidating. The whole time I was like, Hi, I'm just happy to be here. Like, I'm trying not to look like I'm grinning like a fucking idiot, and like, you I know. Promise what I
2: promise mean? you, not a person in that booth feels anything like that. You know what I mean? We're, we're uh, when we go when, whenever any of the, me, I have I have fans that literally just lose their minds if, if when, uh, that they've seen when they've seen me. You know, that have been reading my book since my very first book, and have followed my career. And, you know, I, yeah, I know I ain't Stephen King, but to these people, but to certain people, I'm, you know, I am who I am. And they, they don't realize, I don't, I don't feel it. And Dan, when you're around Dan, Dan's, Dan's a real well-known writer. He doesn't feel it. You can tell by the way, when you interact with the guy, neither does Melinda, you know what I mean? And it, it's weird to get that, you know, like you almost don't want to disappoint somebody because, you know, we're just such average, normal-ass people.
0: And- well, I think, though, that that's a <laughs> great Like, I met, I met Dan Wells actually, oh, my God, five years ago at Dragon Con because he was signing at a bar Star booth. And I bought his book because I'm not a serial killer. I'm like, oh, my God, i got to buy this book. So I bought two of his books. He signed them. And one um, night, possibly inebriated, possibly – but um, I sent him, I'm like, do you want to be on the podcast? Like, this is my, my ode to life is get drunk and email all the famous people and ask if you want to be on the And when he was on and he was on the podcast and like now we game with him, right? Because he does professional DMing. I fangirl
2: Dan's a super duper nice nice guy too. Oh, man. he's
0: amazing. I totally fangirled when he got on the podcast at first because I'm like, Are
2: y'all gonna be me? in North Carolina at uh in Raleigh um at the end of the uh, end of July. Wh-
1: which is that for Green Sid? Is it the Green that
2: City? That is uh um um, um um Raleigh is is a con something con Galaxy Con.
0: Yeah, we're at um Tampa Bay Comic Con at the end of July. Tampa Bay Comic Con is down yeah, there. I,
2: we're not. I, I think I don't think we're going to be there.
0: No, you guys aren't. But anyway, I met him and now interacting with him, and he, you know, he gets me interacting with him, interacting with, with Melinda Snodgrass. as I've gotten to do this show. I love how real every author is because I'm an author. I'm a publisher, but I'm also a fan of you guys. And so it's neat to talk to you guys. But I go, these are real people in some of the nicest You don't have it
2: like actors, though. You know, it's not like anybody. It's like like, I was sitting there. This is no shit. I'm sitting there at Pensacon behind a big stack of my own books. Guy walks up and goes, oh, dude, I love this guy. Oh, man. I'm like oh, it says here that the authors are here. And I'm like, yeah, dude, right here. (laughs) (laughs) We don't get that kind of, like, you know, I don't walk into a room and somebody recognizes me.
0: (laughs) I'm sure sometimes people do, but it's interesting. Like, I've watched people at booths walk up and... I, I just, I love talking to people, Vanessa will tell you this, I will walk up to, I don't care who they are, and start talking to them like that, whatever, but I've watched people be pensive around author booths, and I always think to myself, we should put a sign on the booth that says, come talk to us, we want to talk to you. From well, you know, I going to be
2: in uh, Tampa, um, well, I got the Orlando, the uh, fanboy thing in Orlando, fanboy expo or whatever um oh, really in orlando but i'm while i'm there i'm going to go over to ybor city in tampa or right outside of tampa yeah and i'm friends with josh um shade tree surgeon he's uh um, does a motorcycle channel at a bar called the dirty shame in ybor city and they support a cause called uh forgotten angels which is for uh kids who age out of the foster system and they don't and they just don't have anywhere to go i mean my company, they don't have anything like from a haircut to filling out a job app to you know they they're actually right now in the process of building a home for uh single mothers so they have a safe place to be
0: yeah my company <laughs> has supported the forgotten angels at so, holiday time I was to gonna eat.
2: do because uh, we were supposed to do tampa comic-con but we're not um, but I, I still, I, I had already uh, told them I'm going to do something. So I'm going to do it, uh, just a solo thing myself, but I'd love to have you guys there with me when I do it. Absolutely. And I'm going to um, and, and I'm gonna get some, I'm going to get a bunch of authors, to just give me some signed books and I'm going to auction it off and like, you know, and, and, and try to raise some money for Forgotten Angels. I mean, cause to me personally, that kind of program is personally important. I was never in the foster program, but I had a real tough time growing up. And um, if
0: if you can support, I think it's amazing. I'm a firm believer of supporting charities that help and especially local charities. There's a lot of work both with normal work and business, and I volunteered. school. I think it's amazing and we will be there and we will give you books and any support you need. And we'll both all the writers
2: too. Sign some books, and you know, I mean, we'll do a pa- uh, what I was thinking about doing is doing a, like a little author panel, and then you know, you get a little Q and A. I know, I know, uh, Josh can like make it to where we could do it at the bar there. You know, oh, that's
0: um, perfect. That
1: is perfect to drink and be on panels, and and then and uh, then you're required to reenact all the Monty Python. I'm just oh saying. yes.
0: I to well, Between me and Brian, we could probably do the entire oh, movie yeah. and make yeah. can... for it. I mean, Here we go.
2: So, logically,
0: <laughs> Shane
2: Weiss the same as a duck. She's made of wood. And She's a witch!
0: She's a witch! Bring out your dead. Bring out your dad! Out your d- I'm not dead yet. Well.
2: He love says me. he's not dead. <laughs> <laughs>
1: To rehearse some lines
0: so I can hang with y'all during this whole. okay you know what Vanessa I appreciate you you need to watch a lot more Python okay oh, we're nice. nearing the end of this particular episode Brian what advice would you give authors out there oh well uh okay huh <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry to put you on the spot there with- uh, bro- well, you know, I
2: mean the thing is I, I hate being like you know Oh, write, write a lot, write, you know, because it's like, you, know, you hear the same thing. Don't, 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 if you want to be a writer, it, um, just be a writer. Don't have, but don't have any expectations. Um, you got to, uh, coming into this, remember, in the entire world, in genre fiction, there are 15,000 authors making a living. So, whether you become an indie or go traditional, it's a hard tall mountain to climb but you can do it but don't go in there thinking that with stars in your eyes because if you do it for anything other than the love of writing you're in it for the wrong reasons because if you're in it for the money it's that that's that's probably not going to happen.
0: I love it I love it okay how do fans find you?
2: What is the best place to find your books and everything? Uh, well, you got Brian D On you can look up just Brian D Anderson on Google, and I'm all over the dang place. Um, Except um, for Twitter,
0: we know that. We no, know no, no. Brian Brian
2: D Anderson seven uh, at tw- I do have a Twitter account. I just all I all I ever do on Twitter is when I have a new release or something like that. I'll like post a post it there. I don't. I almost never check Twitter. Um, i don't you know i'm not active i got a thousand followers on twitter you know So i mean so it's not you know i mean
0: you you haven't built up the millennia of of followers
2: no no i have not i have uh, it's not it's not something i do a lot i don't really use snapchat and all that kind of stuff but um you can find me on amazon the amazon page um my books are available on every platform and um, in, in all formats. Um, if you're into audiobooks, which I love, 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 they are definitely available there.
0: So, what is your latest release?
2: My latest what?
0: Release. What is okay. the latest book?
2: Uh, well, um, the latest thing I have out is the final book of the Goblin Chronicles um, sequel. Book 8 is called Ascension. And. It, it just came out uh, last month and, or this month actually, uh, on the 8th of this month, and but I have the latest series I have out, of course, is The Sorcerer's Song, which book one and two are out, this, uh, The Barge Blade and A Course of Fire, and the um, the next book I'll probably have out is uh, going to be The Source Elegy, which is book three. I'm also working uh, on a Dystopian sci-fi um, uh, series of novellas for uh, Literary Cat Productions, uh, which is Alexi's um, I'm doing um, a print a print thing with him called Talos. It's a uh, d- yeah dystopian sci-fi set in uh, set in t- today's time. It's a little bit of a departure from uh, what I normally do. And um, um, then I'm going to be working on a thing called the the working title right now is a Forge of Worlds, but I think that title's taken by DC Comics, so I'm gonna have to change it. But that's the ninety thousand word sample I was talking about.
0: The sample. Yeah, sample. That, that's, <laughs> that's gonna
2: be my, that's gonna be my next thing that I'm pitching a tour. So yep, yeah, that's that's me and that's me in a nutshell
0: very, very cool. You have been thoroughly amazing to have on this podcast. Thank you so much. Okay, so this has been Drinking with Authors. I've been your host, Erica Lance. I'm Vanessa Valiente. Our guest has been Brian D. Anderson, and we will see you next time.